Metamore Studios, in association with Liminal Corvid Press, proudly presents Things Unseen, a novel of Metamore City. Written by Chris Lester. Performed by Chris Lester and Dawn D. Wood. Dedication For Phoenix, the flame you rekindled still burns brightly. Prologue 25 years ago, October 25th, 1974, Christos Reckoning, Telvari Rift Protectorate, Irambi. Dr. Cynthia Rains slipped into her mirror suit and zipped it up from crotch to sternum doing her best to ignore the smell. After 43 days in the jungle, the suit reeked, and every morning her nose reminded her of the sacrifices she was making in the name of science. Then again, it wasn't as if anyone in the Project Lightpath team would complain about her lack of hygiene. None of them were in any better shape, and none of them regretted it for a moment. Not with what waited for them when they opened the hatch every morning. Cynthia slid open the lead shield that covered the room's one small porthole. A shaft of brilliant light poured into the skyship's hold, the tropical Arambian sun shining brightly even through three inches of leaded glass. Absently, she pulled on her gloves as she stared out at the forest canopy below, adjusting the fittings and locking down the seals by muscle memory. It was a beautiful morning, topside, and while the forest floor would be as dark and shadowed as always, Cynthia knew that they could be standing in that sunlight by mid-afternoon if they made good time. The forest's edge stood barely ten kilometers off, and beyond that... She stared out at the rift itself, her stomach quivering in anticipation. On first glance, it was a hideous thing, a jagged tear in the flesh of the world. Some seventy kilometers long and nearly five kilometers wide, The rift stood in mute testimony of man's inhumanity to man. Here, the lives of six million Telvari had been snuffed out in the space of an eye blink, obliterated in the most destructive act of ritual magic ever perpetrated by human beings. Where there had once been a fertile river valley and the industrial heart of the Telvari war machine, an instant later there was... nothing. Even with its considerable role in starting the war, even with the atrocities Telvar had committed against its neighbors in the mad dash for power and territory, there were many among the allies who felt that the Balefire spell had been... excessive. The names of the wizards who had developed and cast the spell were expunged from the records for their own protection. Many believed that the region would lie dead for eternity, the earth burned down to its charred and blackened bones. The fates, it seemed, had other plans. When the Empire of Metamore launched its first global mapping satellites in the 1950s, the photographs of the rift had revealed not a wasteland, but a dense tropical forest growing nearly to the rift's edge. The same spell that wiped Telvar off the map had cracked open a hidden mana nexus deep below the surface, and the resulting thaumaton radiation had bathed the surrounding countryside with spectacular results. The levels of life-aspected mana were so intense that not even the best theoreticians could predict what effects it might have on the local biota. Project Lightpath was born soon thereafter, and now Cynthia, 
Gordon, and their teammates were making history as they reported back to the rest of the world on their discoveries. And such discoveries! In the last six weeks, Cynthia had seen plants that made food from manna instead of sunlight, lizards that used invisibility fields to stalk their prey, even herbivores that could absorb any spell directed at them and spit it back at their attackers, a fact that her teammate Matthew had discovered when he hit one with a binding spell for closer study. Most of the new organisms could be identified as kin to known species in the surrounding ecosystems, but the magic of the rift had changed them thoroughly and fundamentally. Levels of life-aspected mana this high were more than mutagenic. They transformed both the somatic cells and the germline, changing both the individual organism and all of its potential offspring. Even knowing that such effects were possible, the sheer variety of unique species that existed here was beyond anything Cynthia had ever imagined. As a graduate student at Empire University, she had dreamed of discovering just one new species. In the last week alone, she had discovered fifty. The touch of a hand on her shoulder brought Cynthia out of her reverie. Commander Gordon Levinson leaned in beside her and looked out at the rift, his gray eyes sparkling in the morning light. Not far now, eh? He grinned, straight white teeth framed by a thick salt-and-pepper beard. I reckon we'll be there by suppertime. Maybe lunch if we hustle. What do you think? Should we leave the heavy gear for later and try to double-time it? Cynthia made a sucking sound between her front teeth. I don't know. Part of me is anxious to hurry up and get there, but we don't know how rough the ground's going to be. We might not want to make the trip twice if we don't have to. The commander nodded thoughtfully, stroking his beard. Yeah, I expect you're right, he said at last. Better to have and not need than need and not have, as my pappy used to say. Damn shame we can't steer this bird any closer. Cynthia checked the respirator on her mirror suit. The filters looked clear and all the dials were in the green. True, but I'm all for playing it safe at this point. It's a long walk out of here if the manorag scrags the enchantment. Gordon chuckled, a rich, warm sound. It reminded Cynthia of her husband, and she fought down a brief pang of longing for Harold and their infant son, Hal Jr. The pregnancy's timing had been damned inconvenient. She'd nearly been taken off the mission, but she fought and begged to stay on, and, in the end, the brass relented. She'd had to work twice as hard to get her body back into field condition, but it had been worth it. It had all been worth it. Still... She couldn't help a little homesickness now and then. Gordon seemed to read the warring emotions in her eyes. His grin faded and he nodded once, a sharp little gesture of respect. Ready for the fishbowl? he asked. Cynthia nodded back as she pulled the suit's zipper the rest of the way up. Let's do this. Gordon raised the bulky helmet of the mirror suit and slid it over Cynthia's head. He gave it a twist to tighten the seal, then used the clamps to lock it down. Breathe, he said. The respirator whirred and hissed, as Cynthia took a deep breath in and out. Air's okay, she said. The helmet was stuffy, but at least it didn't smell as bad as the suit. The climate control systems clicked on with a quiet hum, and the inner lining of the suit grew chilly against her skin. A soft current of cool, dry air circulated beneath the helmet each time she took a breath. Gordon shook the helmet back and forth a little, but there was no wobble between it and the suit. Seals good. They turned around and Cynthia helped Gordon with his helmet in turn. All through the cargo bay, the other members of the Light Path team did likewise, 
Gordon called them into a circle, checking each pair of partners for the thumbs up. He pressed the chin lever inside his helmet and spoke, his voice crackling through the wireless. Okay, boys and girls, this is the big day. Sensors are picking up increased activity from the rift. Nothing in the danger zone yet, but CNC wants us to push on and get some readings at the edge in case they have to pull us out later. There's going to be a hundred million people watching us today, so smile for the cameras and try to look pretty. Tolly, that means you keep me behind you. Tolly, the team's camera operator, raised her still cam and shot a close-range photo of him, just for spite. The flash was bright in the dim confines of the skyship, and the team laughed as Gordon tried to blink the spots out of his eyes. And on that note, he said dryly, let's go make history. As they had each morning for the last 42 days, the Lightpath survey team descended on repelling lines from the hovering skyship and made their way down through the canopy to the forest floor. Paulette, the supply officer, lowered down the thaumatometer and the rest of the heavy equipment on a cargo pallet. Each team member wordlessly loaded his or her backpack with their share of the weight, the duties made automatic by routine. Gordon checked the compass, then gestured with his machete. Cynthia and the others fell in behind him. Progress was slow, as was often the case in the jungle. The mirror suits were heavy, even with the lightest shielding the engineers could devise, and then there was the equipment itself. No one carried less than twenty kilos, and Gordon and some of the other big men were toting thirty. In a good hour, they could manage two kilometers. Their average was somewhere closer to one. At least heat prostration wasn't a concern. Though the forest floor topped 34 degrees and 98% humidity, the mirror suit kept Cynthia's personal environment cool and comfortable. The stunning diversity of the forest spread out before Cynthia, tempting her with strange new sights and sounds at every turn. Normally, she would stop and savor this feast, but this morning she pushed it to the margins of her thoughts and focused on the twisting path before her. There would be more missions, she was sure, and they had an appointment with wonders greater than these. They were less than two kilometers from the rift when Tolly came up alongside her, a frustrated expression on her cinnamon-brown face. Dr. Reigns, CNC says they're having trouble with the vid feed. The increased mana rod is fouling the signal. Cynthia frowned. Can you do anything to boost the power? Already deep. Two clicks ago. The batteries are dropping out. Cynthia thought about the sensor systems she was toting around on her own back. Most of them related to her own specialty in the life sciences, and while she'd brought them just in case, she didn't expect to find much living at the rift itself. She gestured for Tolly's transmitter rig and checked the shape of the power socket. As she'd hoped, it was compatible with the external power pack that was built into her equipment harness. All right, I'll take over the broadcast duties for now, Cynthia said fitting the transmitter rig to her harness and plugging it into the power pack. We can swap harnesses once we get to the edge. Cynthia dialed the transmitter power up to maximum and raised the camera to the faceplate of her mirror suit. CNC, this is Dr. Rains. Are you getting this? A response came back a moment later, faint and heavily distorted but intelligible. Dr. Rains, this is CNC. It's faint, but we reach you. Copy that. We'll probably be reaching the rift in about two hours. I don't know how long we'll be able to punch through this distortion, but I'll keep recording as long as the batteries hold out. We copy, Reigns. Good luck. Shortly after two o'clock, the forest gave way to oddly shaped weeds and scrub bushes, and beyond them, the bare rock cliffs of the rift itself, now less than a kilometer away. 
Heavy clouds filled the canyon nearly to the brim, blocking any hint of the bottom. Even through the manorad shielding of the mirror suit, Cynthia could feel the pulsing life of the place, buzzing down her spine and turning her skin to goose flesh. Gordon whistled softly. Would you look at that? There's a view worth waking up for, and no mistake. Emerus Nightwind, the team's biomancer, came up to stand next to Gordon. The elf's eyes narrowed in concentration, and the tips of his ears twitched like a dog focusing on a strange noise. Commander, I'm sensing something unusual in the rift. Gordon quirked an eyebrow at him. I would have thought that was obvious, Em. Nightwind didn't smile. I meant besides the bare facts of its existence. There is structure in the mana fields here, far more than is normal for a nexus this young. The patterns suggest a sentient presence of some kind. Unconsciously, the members of Team Lightpath drew closer together. Gordon fixed the elf with a piercing look. Em, are you saying this thing is alive? Nightwind returned his gaze evenly. I don't know, Commander, but I am certain of one thing. We are not alone. Cynthia shivered. She could feel it, too, the sense of a presence both powerful and alien. It seemed neither friendly nor malevolent, but it was very watchful. Gordon chewed on his bottom lip for a moment, then nodded. Well, all right, then. Looks like this mission just got more interesting. He looked at Cynthia, and his lips skinned back in a wry grin. Let's go say hello. As they walked, Cynthia put a fresh tape cartridge into the camera and inserted the previous one into the transmitter rig. CNC, Rain's here. I'm sending up the latest tape of the inner rift zone. Can you see it? The voice that came back was barely distinguishable from the static around it. Sighing, Cynthia pushed the stop button on the transmitter's tape deck. There was no point in wasting power on it if the signal wasn't going through. Damn it, she muttered, then pushed her chin lever again. It's no good, base. Once we get any closer to the rift, you're not going to be able to hear anything. We'll take the camera down to the edge and try to record some footage that we can send back to you later. She looked up at the rift again, feeling that watchful presence and a heady mix of fear and anticipation. I hope the camera will still work when we get down there, because the view looks incredible. She shaded her eyes from the tropical sun and caught sight of something she hadn't noticed before. I'm looking at it right now, and even in the sunlight, I can see what looks like a bright glow coming from the inside of the mist. It might be the nexus shining up through the rift, but at this point, I don't really know what's causing it. I guess we'll find out and then call you tonight. Rain's out. Cynthia hit the power switch to shut down the long-range transmitter, then addressed the rest of the team through the wireless. The local channel came through much more clearly, partly due to the shorter range, and partly because the mirror suits were sympathetically attuned to one another. The static is swamping out the signal. We're on our own. Gordon stopped and looked back at Nightwind. Em, run and check on those mana rad levels. The elf checked the dials on the thaumatometer which was a full meter wide and clumsily mounted to the back of Gordon's equipment harness. Ambient field strength is now roughly 540 kilochannings. 
Make that 550. Cynthia swallowed nervously. The mirror suits were rated for an acute dose of up to 20,000 kilochannings, but prolonged exposure to anything above 1,000 was likely to have some long-term effects, and they were still a long way from the rift's edge. Nightwind, you checked the levels when we were one kilometer out, right? Yes, Dr. Rains. At that time, the field strength was 87 kilochannings. Cynthia looked back and forth between the rift and the forest's edge, trying to judge the distance to each. How much closer are we now? About halfway? We are roughly 520 meters from the edge, Nightwind agreed. Gordon narrowed his eyes in thought. Half the distance should mean four times the radiation. Instead, it's six times. Cynthia, check my math. You're right. The worry, she felt, was reflected on Gordon's face. So, unless somebody suspended the inverse square law, the field strength has gone up by 50% in the last 20 minutes. Looks that way. Gordon nodded once, decisively, then signaled the others to circle up. He looked to each of them in turn, pivoting his whole body to gaze at them through the leaded glass faceplate of his helmet. Ladies and gentlemen, this just became a volunteer mission. It's getting hot out there, and pretty damned fast. Things keep going the way they are, and we won't make it to the edge and back without soaking up more mana rad than our suits can handle. Nobody knows exactly what that'll mean for us personally, but you've all seen the things walking and flying around here, so you've got a good idea of the possibilities. Some of the Light Path members shuddered at that. Others just looked thoughtful. Gordon crossed his arms. I have a responsibility to complete this mission, so that's what I aim to do. But I also have a responsibility to protect the people under my command. If you come with me, I can't guarantee your safety. So the choice is up to you. He backed up several paces closer to the rift. If you're with me, come stand over here. We'll divvy up the gear once we know who's coming. For a long moment, silence reigned among the group, as they stood looking between Gordon and their fellow teammates. Then Nightwind turned and walked to stand next to Gordon. Cynthia wasn't surprised at that. Elves were more resistant to magic than humans were, and Nightwind's thirst for new experiences was what had driven him to leave Quinardia in the first place. As for Cynthia, she thought about Harold and Hal Jr. again. Going with Gordon would mean coming back changed in one way or another. Would she still be the woman Harold loved? Would she still be a woman at all? That was the damnable thing about wild magic. There was no way to know. Gordon's voice came to her over a private channel. Cynthia, I don't want you to feel obligated to do this. Second in command or not, you've got a family to think of. Cynthia clenched her teeth and thought hard. Yes, she said at last. You're right. I do have to think of them. I have to think of what I'll say to Hal if he finds out that his mother backed away from the greatest scientific mission of the century. That I came all this way, fought to stay on the mission, and then called it quits because I was scared. She raised her chin and walked over to stand in front of Gordon. Hal deserves better than that. One by one, the others followed, until everyone was standing around the commander. Gordon nodded solemnly. That same short, sharp gesture of respect he'd used this morning now applied to each of them in turn. All right, then. Gordon gestured at the rift. We'll set up the equipment at 100 meters and use mage hands to run the cables out to the sensors at the edge. 
Nobody gets any closer than that. We may be crazy, but let's not be stupid crazy. There were scattered laughs and chuckles among the group. Then they turned as one and headed for the cliff's edge. An hour later, the heavier equipment was set up and collecting readings. Paulette and Tolly hooked up the cameras and sensors to long data cables, and Nightwind conjured invisible mage hands to carry them out to the edge. Cynthia kept a close eye on the thaumatometer, watching for any further fluctuations in the rift's mana field. The field strength was now over 25,000 kilochannings, well above the mirror suit's acute dosage range. Cynthia wasn't a wizard, but she could feel the excess mana rad seeping into her body, merging with the inner life force found in all living things. It felt like the combination of a caffeine rush, a runner's high, and the afterglow of the best sex she had ever experienced. Colors seemed brighter, sounds crisper, and her skin prickled and muscles quivered with restless energy. She wanted to run, to dance, to sing, to tear off the suit and revel in the touch of the wind on her bare skin. She reined in her thoughts with an iron effort of will. That way lay madness. Life-aspected mana had many positive effects at moderate doses, but the energies bathing them now were far too much of a good thing. There was a reason nothing grew this close to the edge. It was a virtual certainty that the wild magic was already changing her, kindling mutations and somatic alterations that would manifest in a matter of days, or even hours. She wouldn't be coming back as the same woman who started this mission. If her mirror suit failed, she wouldn't be coming back from the mission at all. Cynthia looked over at Nightwind, who sat on the ground in lotus position a few meters away. He had drawn out a spellcasting circle on the bare earth, elven sigils between the outer ring and the inner triangle in which he sat. He sat with perfect stillness, his expression alert but relaxed. If he felt the same urges that Cynthia felt, he gave no sign of it. How's the summoning going? The elf didn't move, but his lip twitched up in a half-smile. Summoning implies that I am attempting to compel a creature to do something. I would never presume to do that here. Cynthia waved one hand, conceding the point. She knew a lot about the biological effects of mana, but she was lost when it came to magical theory. All right. So what are you doing? Think of it as sending a wireless signal. I am broadcasting our presence and our intentions, and providing an open channel through which they might respond. They? Nightwind nodded once. The presence in the rift is not a single entity. There are many... facets, I suppose. Like instruments in an orchestra, each distinct in aspect, yet there is an emergent character to the whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. Cynthia glanced out at the rift, then back to the elf. Has anything answered yet? Not intelligibly. They seem to recognize what we are, but the impressions they have sent me are impossible to interpret. I believe that the way they communicate with each other does not translate well to creatures unlike themselves. His lips turned up in another half-smile. We're attempting to work out a common set of symbols. I wish we had a linguist with us. Cynthia snorted. Well, we weren't expecting this to turn into a diplomatic mission. An oversight, I'm afraid. I'll endeavor not to cause an interspecies incident. His tone was light, but Cynthia heard the unspoken worry behind the words. Anything powerful enough to hold itself together in a place like this was not something they wanted to piss off. 
Gordon came up behind her then, putting a hand on her shoulder and giving it a squeeze. He knelt beside her to look at the thaumatometer, then clucked his tongue. How are you holding up, Cynthia? he asked, his voice low and gentle over the private channel. The touch kindled a surge of raw desire in Cynthia, as she was vividly reminded of the similarities between Gordon and her husband. The life-aspected manna amplified all of her physical urges, and the sudden hunger for Gordon's skin against hers was almost unbearable. Almost. I'm still with you. She dialed down the thermostat of her mirror suit a couple of notches, and the rush of cold against her skin took the edge off her arousal. It's getting hard to focus. I hear you. Gordon glanced over at Nightwind. Has Emerus put in a call to the locals yet? The line's open, but they're still figuring out how to talk to each other. Cynthia clenched a fist in frustration. I almost wish I hadn't wasted my power pack on the transmitter rig. The sensors I brought with me might have helped us figure out what we're dealing with here. Seems to me that we found something new here. Might be the gear wouldn't have helped that much. Maybe. But I wish we had the power for a pneumoscope, at least. Gordon's eyebrows knitted together with tension. So do I. But even if this thing has a soul, it might not be enough like ours for the machine to recognize it. He sighed. There's no use crying over mitobens in any case. Cynthia nodded reluctantly. There were certain things you could count on when you were dealing with soulish creatures, like the capacity for empathy and freedom of choice. A soul didn't necessarily make a creature any less dangerous, but it at least assured some sort of common ground. A soulless creature, like a fairy, could neither understand human emotions nor act in any way that was contrary to its essential nature. And if you didn't know what that nature was, that could get you in a lot of trouble very quickly. Gordon's thoughts seemed to be running in a similar track. He looked over at the spatial distortion sensor, which would warn them of any incursions into the material plane from the realms outside. The walls of reality grew thin where mana levels were high, which made it easier for all sorts of things to cross over. Spatial integrity is weak but steady. Whatever they are, they're living on our side of the tracks. Good sign, Cynthia said, feeling a little better. There had been times in the ancient past when magic had torn open persistent holes between the mortal world and some place else. The results of such a breach were never less than disastrous. At least they could be sure that Nightwind wasn't communing with some eldritch horror from beyond the stars. The elf's posture stiffened abruptly. I believe we have a breakthrough. Hand me something to write with. Cynthia opened a pocket on the leg of her mirror suit and drew out a marker and a pad of paper. She stood, walked over, and handed them over the lines of the circle to Nightwind. They can't talk, but they can read? Gordon guessed. Nightwind ignored him. Taking the marker in one hand, he rested its tip lightly against the surface of the paper. He did not look at the paper as his hand moved, unconsciously drawing a set of complex symbols in thick black lines filling the page in a line from top to bottom. The marker reached the end of the page and stopped moving. Nightwind held up the pad in front of his faceplate. His eyes widened in shock. What? What's it say? The symbols didn't look like Elvish. They... they bid us welcome, the elf said, his voice unsteady. 
and they anticipate our participation in the great chorus. Cynthia's blood ran cold. Wait a minute. Why do they think we're going to stay here? Nightwind's eyes met hers. Because we cannot escape. At that moment, the alarm buzzer sounded on the thaumatometer. Cynthia ran back to look at it and saw that the dials had pegged themselves at the upper limits. The field strength was literally off the scale. From the rift, Cynthia saw the light intensifying, turning the gray mist brilliant white. A low rumbling sounded from beneath their feet, growing stronger by the second. Run! Gordon shouted. Everyone get away from the rift! Get... The light exploded outward from the rift and the world went white. For a moment, Dr. Cynthia Rains felt all-encompassing, bone-searing pain. But only for a moment. Lightpath Base, this is Lightpath 2. We found the worksite. The heavily shielded assault craft lowered itself to the ground, alongside Lightpath 1's abandoned equipment. The bay doors opened, and six suits of powered armor marched onto the naked earth. Lightpath 1 had been equipped with the lightest mirror suits that the expected radiation levels permitted. The rescue operation was equipped with the opposite in mind. The captain of the rescue team led her squad to the thing they had spotted from the air. She bent down and raised it in one heavy, servo-driven claw. By the prophet, she whispered. Lightpath 2, this is base. Have you found Lightpath 1? The captain looked at the empty mirror suit she held before her. The patch on the suit stated, simply, Reigns. Negative, base. The captain said, her voice hollow as she looked at the similarly empty mirror suits scattered around the worksite. They're gone. They're all gone. You've been listening to episode 51 of the Metamore City podcast, written and produced by Chris Lester. This episode featured the voice talents of Chris Lester and Don D. Wood. Music and sound effects were provided by Digital Juice at digitaljuice.com and are used in accordance with the licenses there too. This audio adaptation of Things Unseen was recorded and mixed at Metamore Studios in Oakland, California. The story and recording are both copyright 2014 by Chris Lester. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license. You may make copies of this recording and distribute it to others, as long as you give credit to the author and don't change it or sell it. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org. All other rights are reserved to the author. If you would like to purchase this book, it is available on Amazon as a paperback for $17.95 US, or as a DRM-free Kindle ebook for $6.99 US. It is also available in other ebook formats at smashwords.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the story. <laughs>